Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. It's just Aaron today. Uh, Brian wasn't able to make it. And I'm coming to you from what I'm going to dub the Cloudcast Remote Studio. I'm at uh, the day job here in Boulder, Colorado. If you hear some street noise, I apologize. The only conference rooms available in the office were either in London, which is uh, quite a ways away from me, or this one. So uh, I'm going to mute myself uh, and try and reduce that as much as possible. But I just want to let everyone know ahead of time because we've actually been trying to improve our sound, and I, I hope this one works like that. So today we have an interesting twist on a few concepts we have covered recently on the show. We've spoken quite a few times about monitoring, and we've also spoken about APIs. And we're going to kind of combine those together today, and we're going to talk about monitoring of APIs. And to dig into this, I'd like to introduce John Sheehan, CEO of RunScope. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So real, real quickly, let, tell us a little bit about your background and on a little bit on the company. Uh, you come from you know, some, some, uh, some backgrounds that's definitely worth talking about here. Sure. So uh, a couple years ago, 2010, uh, I was living not too far from where you are in Colorado, and uh, I joined a little company you may have heard of in the API space called Twilio. Uh, there were about 10 people at the time, and I was the first uh, developer evangelist there. So I spent you know, the first year or so running around the country, helping developers get started with Twilio and really helping them get those API integrations up and running. And so really sort of in the weeds with developers, uh, you know, solving API problems in their case, communications API problems. Uh, eventually became a product manager for the developer experience there, working on SDKs, documentation, the developer portal, all of that. Uh, and really like got really excited about working on developer tools. Um, Previous to, to Twilio, I built a library for .NET called REST Sharp, which made working with uh, APIs in .NET very easily. So I had this sort of thread of developer tools, uh, you know, sort of running through my veins up to that point. Um, after I left Twilio in, in 2011, uh, I went to another API company called uh, If This Then That, Ift. They're not really actually an API company uh, as far as how they present themselves, but underneath the covers, it's all APIs, right? They connect all of the different services you use online lets you automate interactions between them. And so all of that happens via APIs. No APIs, there's no ift. And so uh, what I found myself doing there was working on more developer tools. So we had 65 API integrations at ift, and they were all very, very broken, very consistently. And so in order for us to provide a good user experience, we really needed better tools for understanding API-driven applications and the sort of developer tools that existed out there uh, were not really well-suited to the, sort of this new distributed application that was so heavily reliant on APIs. Uh, so we started playing around with this idea, and I, I talked to a friend of mine who was still at Twilio uh, who worked on the API engineering team there and said, hey, you know, I feel like there's an opportunity here to build some better tools for APIs. What do you think of this? And he said, great, I'm in. I love building developer tools too. And so uh, we sort of set out from there to, to build a new set of developer tools that really considered the API first. So let me ask you this then. Let's kind of dig into the topic a little bit. How is API testing and, and monitoring and especially performance monitoring different from, say, application level testing? Sure. So, I mean, the, the biggest difference there is obviously the, the network, right? So there, there's a, a series of things that happen on the network that either manifest themselves differently in the application uh, based on, you know, what happens on the network or don't reach the application at all. So one of my favorite examples actually is 
uh, what happens when you get back, uh, you know, malformed JSON response, right? Let's say something happened on the wire. It doesn't even have to be like uh, malformed JSON. It can just be that the API you're hitting is returning a 500 and that web server throws back HTML instead of JSON, something like that. The way that manifests itself in most traditional performance monitoring tools is that you'll get an exception raise that'll get caught. You might see, you know, that surface in various ways, but what you'll see is something like a JSON parse error, right? What you're not seeing is, is that, the data was just wrong on the wire, that the that everything was malformed. Like the JSON parse error is just a, a byproduct of that. What you really want was that I got a, an incorrect response, that the data I was expecting did not come back over that API call. So that's a really simple example, but it's extremely common. I think I've seen more JSON parse errors in exception logs than probably in most other things because that just happens to be how web servers tend to, tend to work. So... Um, there's also like a different set of problems for uh, verifying correctness of data that don't show up in, in more code-focused uh, performance monitoring tools. So uh, pretty often, you know, we'll get a response back from an API and it's fast and we get a 200 okay, everything looks good, the JSON parses and all that, but there's some piece of data in there that's incorrect. So as far as your user is concerned, your end user, incorrect data is still an error. It doesn't matter whether or not the app crashed or not or how it reacted to that. That's still a bad user experience, but most performance monitoring tools don't take into account the data uh, being correct or not. And it's not uncommon to have incorrect data in an API call. Um, that was probably one of our, in our top five of common errors that we would see at IFT. And so it, w- it was errors like that or, or pinpointing slowness when there's a lot more layers involved than just your code and the server it runs on. You know, there's also the your network, your API provider's network, your API provider's code. There's, I mean, there's a lot more layers there. And so having something that sort of understands those boundaries makes it a lot easier to pinpoint where problems are, are happening uh, and, and sort of view them in a way that was uh, natural to the environment in which they happen. If you're getting a network error, what you want is something that understands the network. That's not something that is focused on how your code reacted to that uh, situation. Cool. And... So that really probably answered my next question of, of really why and how API monitoring is different from, say, just simple uptime monitoring. But, but answer this for me then. Who is a typical customer of RunScope and what types of, of challenges and tests? Like what are the, the you, you, you said your, your background and, and kind of what, why you started the company, but is, are, is that what your customers are seeing? And is that your main use cases as well? Like, is that the big problem you're solving for? Sure. So uh, a, a little bit of backstory here might, might help round this out. So when we first launched RunScope, we built a debugging tool. And it was essentially a, a, a proxy that you would put your API traffic through. And we would just show you the raw HTTP traffic as it flowed back and forth between your code and the API you were using. And so what that did is that that made that sort of raised the visibility level. That, that exposed people to a whole set of problems they maybe didn't anticipate were happening, whether that was extra requests or the number of errors they were getting, that sort of thing. And what happened was is that after a customer would debug a problem with what we now call the traffic inspector, what they started to ask for was, hey, you know, it was really great that we could debug that problem, but what we really want to know without having to do it ourselves is on an ongoing basis, is that problem staying solved? And that's what really led to the the monitoring tool. We didn't set out to actually to build a monitoring tool. It was actually uh, very much an accident in a way. What we set out to do is build a tool that lets you take a known good API request and sort of keep it in a known good state and alert you if it changed. And what happened was is that very quickly we we determined that you know this was a monitoring tool, and so we started focusing on the, those use cases. But we started with the that that core concept of visibility 
and uh, working with real data and not having to write code. And so that really shaped the direction of the product and, and is what really sort of sets it apart from other testing tools that are out there. And so um, how, it, how that ends up manifesting itself in comparison to a simple uptime tool is that because we had this early uh, emphasis on correctness of the API, not just performance of the API or uptime of the API, uh, we allow you to write tests that will actually span different concerns. So during dev, you can write tests that will verify correctness. During QA, your QA team can use those same test plans you know, to exercise more parts of the API and maybe get a little bit into the performance uh, you know, aspect of that. And then when you go to production, your, your ops team can actually use that exact same test to run production-level monitoring from you know, nine-plus locations around the world as often as every minute, and get performance monitoring that isn't just whether it was up or not or how fast it responded, but for specific transactions or endpoints or use cases, how they were responding, which is a much, much level uh, deeper testing than you would get from a single uptime tool or even from what you would be able to do with uh, an existing test suite in production. There, there aren't really many tools out there uh, that actually will let you span the different uh, API development lifecycle components like that uh, and so that's what sort of really sets us apart. And I think it was really that, like, listening to how customers wanted their mod- API monitoring work that informed the direction of that product. Yeah, and that, that goes along with, so you mentioned before on, some, on the website and some other things I was looking at, of uh, no code needed on walking through, like, testing and, and how that testing works. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, especially when it comes to the lifecycle of the application. Is it, is it like you're, you're, you're basically doing constant comparisons against a known baseline and then kind of looking for scope creep, if you will, or creep uh, outside of norms? Um, and so sure. is, it, is it comparing against an always comparing against a known good and then kind of archiving that and moving on to a different known good? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, the way our tests work is you, you go into the, the test editor and you define a series of HTTP requests that get executed that... Uh, the executed order, and then for each of those requests in a test, you can uh, add your own success criteria via assertions. Uh, you can also extract data to ch- pass between them, so you can chain them together. So there is like a, a, a dynamicness to it. It doesn't necessarily have to be a completely static HTTP request, but generally what you're testing is a, a known good set of requests uh, and evaluating for uh, any any deviations from the expected result from those things. I was just going to so, quick follow-up to that then is... And does that also take into account uh, variability of, say, platforms or tools of, you know, maybe different operating systems, different browsers, you know, different ways in which we're potentially making calls? Is that how, how does all of that factor into it as well? Sure. So, so we operate purely at the HTTP layer. So if you can send an HTTP request, like we can send the same request with RunScope. So uh, if you want to uh, simulate different browser clients for like a single page application API, then sure, you could set a user agent header. Like we're agnostic to that. We, we generally don't uh, care about anything except for the HTTP data that was going back and forth over the wire. So then it's really a, a lowest common, common denominator thing. You, you really remove uh, any of that variability out of the equation. That's really cool. I like that. But then to kind of move on to another problem that happens sometimes, API versions. API versioning can be just just a huge headache sometimes. And maintaining that backwards compati- compatibility or, or kind of moving on to a new version, is there anything, any guidance or, or, or any things, the advantages to this API monitoring that that you have seen uh, any advantages that are provided out there? Sure. So, you know, in a lot of cases, 
uh, between versions, you might write a different set of your own, you know, internal test suite to, to exercise the API and make sure that each version is returning what you would expect. Uh, but the nice thing about APIs is how clearly defined the interfaces are, right? Like I- interface is the most important word of the the three in API. Uh, it's that contract that really makes uh, an API useful and and, and uh, rel- or something that you can count on. So you know one of the things that you know you could do with us is instead of maintaining that that legacy testing in- infrastructure internally, is you could actually write a full series of regression and integration tests uh, using uh, RunScope, and then as you ship new versions, you can actually clear up your code to only be focusing on the current one that might be changing. The old ones might not be changing that often, and what you really just want to do is make sure they're maintaining that contract. So as you refactor and as you change everything out, you can keep these different sets of RunScope tests to actually make sure that uh, those existing old contracts uh, are being maintained. We always like to sort of joke that an API is forever. I mean, uh, this is definitely one of those philosophies that came out of Twilio that no API would be deprecated really until it was no longer used. I mean, there's even a, an undocumented version of their API that the very, very first beta testers were using that I believe is still in operation to this day or has been very close. And this is this is going on uh, uh, seven plus years. So uh, you know, we we think you should keep an API around as long as somebody's using it, and having that full set of versioned uh, regression tests and integration tests sort of frees you up from maintaining that within your code base, but also make sure that uh, not just is it correct, is, are those old versions still performing properly, right? Are they still meeting their performance SLAs uh, that you may not be watching as closely uh, since they're not your primary version anymore? Cool. And another question there would be around the idea of integrations. How do you typically, how do your customers typically look at this? If we want to do API monitoring, especially around performance, do we integrate into somebody else's tools, like say PagerDuty, you know, quick disclaimer, uh, sponsor of our show, or other tools? Do you, do people kind of do it within your own framework? How, how do you, how's the operations side of all of this work? Sure. So we try to provide the, the baseline metrics that you need uh, to to do a baseline measurement of your API performance. Right? We have a, a success ratio, which is essentially uh, an uptime measurement. We have some performance stats breakdown by uh, you know status code and endpoint and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but we you know we're we're strongly of the belief that like modern dev teams use the best tool for every job and are maybe not looking for a single suite uh, of tools to do. Uh, to run their their businesses and their infrastructure, so we've tried to integrate with you know best in class tools. PagerDuty is a great integration for us; it's extremely popular uh, uh, way of notifying your ops teams when the API is down. You know, we integrate with Slack and HipChat, and uh, we integrate with Ops Genie. And uh, if you want more powerful analytics, we integrate with uh, an API, an analytics API called Keen.io, which really lets you, you know, really slice and dice your results. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we are not trying to be everything to everybody. We want to be the best API monitoring tool that's out there and focus on making sure that we're reliable and that. Uh, you can test any API and that uh, the features are really focused on that and, and leaving sort of these best-in-class tools for analytics and notifications and, and team communication to other tools. And so we, we've taken a really, we've put a really high priority on, on making sure those integrations are solid and, and uh, available. We want to add more. So uh, if there's a tool out there that you use and that you want to integrate with API monitoring, then we want to hear about it. Good to know. So just kind of thinking out loud for a second, performance monitoring versus just straight up monitoring the way the way i can see monitoring is you, you know thumbs up thumbs down does it work performance monitoring or really performance in general tends t- tends to be harder because it's not black and white it's more gray of it, it could work 
is just slow. And then is that slow too slow for the customer or the user or would is it slow, but they don't even notice? And so how does how do you see that as something that really needs to be factored into day-to-day operations? Yeah. So we don't make any assumptions about what a correct API call looks like, right? We have customers that email us all the time saying, hey, this API call takes 200 seconds to respond, and that's totally normal for us, and that's what we're trying to, to figure out is whether or not it's actually responding, even though it might take 200 seconds. Now, day-to-day, an API call in most situations that takes 200 seconds is broken, right? Like that's a very broken API in most situations, but we don't, we try not to make any assumptions about that. And so what we did is we instead came up with the most flexible assertion uh, framework that we could come up with that would let you tell us what was important to you. Is it response time? Is it just that the data is structured properly or that the data, the values in the, in the data structures are, are right and let you really uh, define in great detail what the most important things are to you. And if our simple our simple assertions aren't enough for you. Uh, you know, they let you inspect JSON, XML, response time, headers, all of that sort of stuff. But if there's something crazy you want to do, like the seventh JSON element should equal this, but only when this condition is true, uh, then you can optionally write code. So we have, uh, there is no code required, but if you do want to write code for more advanced assertions, we have an entire JavaScript engine embedded. So with any basically HTTP response that you get back, you can evaluate that using uh, JavaScript to suss out the data you want and a powerful assertion library called J- Chai to actually uh, write those assertions. So it's really up to you to determine you know, what correct looks like and what the of the three vectors of up, fast, and correct you, you care that matter to you. Uh, but you can easily cover one or, or or all three in any test. I like that 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 idea of up fast or correct. That that's a very succinct way to put all of this. Of of yeah, that these are all the different parameters that we need to give the ultimate thumbs up, thumbs down, red light, green light, whatever you want to call it. Let's move on a little bit more to kind of community side. You you mentioned your roots as as kind of community uh, with developers originally and you've kind of moved up the ranks here to to ceo over the years but i'm i'm betting that you still have those developer roots uh, and runscope as a company there there's certainly been a lot of community based projects and we'll we'll put in um a link in the show notes to to some of the pages but or, or excuse me some of the projects but how do you like did the projects were they things you were playing with or other folks in the company playing with like what was the origin of some of the community based things that are out there sure so uh the the community projects if 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 the list, if you're unfamiliar are uh you know five or six different tools that we either built or bought essentially uh that are free tools that don't require a sign up that you can go to one is hurl it hurl.it the other one is requestbin uh hbbin's another one uh and what we what they're out there for is to help developers solve a problem. Like we we don't think that those tools should necessarily be profit drivers for us. That that it's more important that those tools exist and that developers have them available to them to help them solve different you know API related problems. Uh, that we you know have put the effort into you know paying for the hosting and and keeping them up and running and and making sure that they're reliable so that they're available for developers. And if if ultimately you click through to the RunScope site from those from those community sites then you know then we're happy that we were able to help you with that uh as far as as coding them goes so you know some of them were built and then uh some we've built i think 
uh, of the ones we've built, it's mostly been me actually. So I, I love to still code whenever I, I have the chance. Uh, you know, I, I don't get the opportunity to, to code on our, our core product uh, that much. You know, it's usually, you know, billing code and things that I don't want other developers having to worry about. But I do, I, I do think it's extremely important that, you know, on an ongoing basis that I continue to use APIs every day and that I use our product every day and, and really try to stay, uh, uh, as close to what our customers are experiencing every day. I mean, yes, just yesterday I was fighting with probably the worst API I've used in a long time. And, and you know, without RunScope, that would have been incredibly intolerable. Uh, but I felt, you know, it was a really good sort of reminder of what our customers go through every day and the kinds of problems that they run into. So I, I do think it's really important to to keep coding and the community projects giving me sort of an outlet uh, to keep doing that. And so uh, you know, we, we love those sites. We love them when, before we acquired them and, and we're, we're honored that the people that were running them before have, have trusted us to keep those going. And uh, we're going to keep them up and running for as long as we can and, and keep improving them. Cool. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes as well to the GitHub account to kind of move beyond this for a second. With so many APIs these days, you know, what is the best way to really get started. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of information out there. And so if somebody is relatively new to all of this, what would you recommend as first steps? For building APIs or for, yeah, for testing exactly. APIs? Actually both, right? <laughs> if you're going to build it, you got to test it. <laughs> sure, right. You know, you know the... the you know, the first thing is just ship it, right? So it doesn't, you don't have to go build a huge API in order for an API to start being useful. So, you know, when we first started the company, you know, we started building, you know, some small services right away from the get-go. But, you know, the first service that we built internally, all it did was store uh, usernames and passwords and some basic profile information. And so, you know, we spun that up and we just moved on to the next problem, right? And the key was, is that like, uh, you know, we defined what the the job to be done for that service was, and what the service boundary was, and then went back to trying to to build out you know something of customer value. So we didn't spend all this time architecting and designing the API. Like API design, you know, it matters to some extent, but it matters less in the long run than actually having you know valuable data available and having the service available. And so you know what we do is we just focus on customer problems and figure out what the APIs are to support that. So. Uh, once you've determined the customer problem, just go build that first API. It may only have one endpoint or two endpoints, uh, but just get it up and, and running. Uh, but then once you do get an endpoint up and running, you know, try to keep it as, as as stable as possible. So one of the things we actually do is we we try to avoid versions of our APIs as much as possible because uh, once you add versioning, you're sort of giving yourself an outlet to create a whole bunch of breaking changes. It, it sort of removes the, the diligent step from building an API that you want to last a long time. And so, you know, even if you're starting with just one or two endpoints, like be, you know, be thoughtful and be diligent about how those things might evolve over the long term, and, uh, and commit to keeping them around for the long term. Don't, don't use uh, versioning as an escape hatch. And so, uh, you know, because we care about making sure that those contracts are long lasting, you know, one of the first things we do now when we spin up a new service is just start writing tests for every endpoint we put up. You know, we might throw away a couple tests in the end, or even a couple endpoints or rearrange them all. But just having that, that, framework of testing set up from the beginning gives us the freedom to change that API without worrying about whether or not the change we have is has wider reaching uh, effects than we expect. So it's also trite to just say the key to getting started is to get started. So uh, I, I really don't know how else to put it, but just, just start small and iterate. That's That's been an approach that's worked really well for us. Yeah, the, the start small and iterate certainly seems to be a trend these days. And the other one I would kind of add to that is is 
if you're getting started, make it publicly available. You know, don't necessarily keep it to yourself and, and certainly go uh, check out how others are doing it in the community and, and give back to that community as well. That, that's certainly been a big theme of uh, both the Cloudcast and it just seems like, uh, you know, this movement we're in uh, in general. John, we're, we're kind of running out of time here. Um, how can everyone follow you, find out more about uh, the concepts we've talked today or really just find out more about RunScope as well? Sure. So if you like the sound of my voice, uh, first off, I'm sorry. But second of all, I have a podcast where we talk about APIs. Uh, you can find it at trafficandweather.io. It's a show I do with Steve Marks, who works at Dropbox. And you know, we talk about API design trends and new tools that come out and that sort of stuff. We've talked in depth about you know, the Dropbox API and, and the tools that we're building here at Runscope. So trafficandweather.io is a, is a great place to get uh, more in-depth take on 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 how you know we're, we see the the api world uh, other than that i'm on twitter at you know john sheehan and at runscope all right thanks john we are out of time for this week you can follow us on twitter at the cloudcast net or you can reach us on the web at the cloudcast.net where you can find links to everything cloudcast thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you next week